0: Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network,
1: your team every day.
0: What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day Today we'll be joined by Richard Stamen from Locked On NBA Big Board to discuss the booms and busts of NBA Summer League so far and how much stock should actually be placed in Summer League evaluations. Then we chat with Ryland Stiles from Locked On Thunder about Chet Holmgren's Summer League performances so far after his redshirt year in the NBA, what the expectations are for him and the Thunder next season and how and Wallace and many of the other young pieces factor into OKC's plans going forward. Lastly, we talk with Philip Rossman-Reich from Locked On Magic, as the Orlando Magic have a pair of draftees in Anthony Black and Jet Howard. If there's concerns about Black's play after a strong first performance and whether or not the Magic reached a little bit for Jet Howard at pick 11, as well as why Orlando hasn't made any significant roster moves this summer for a team that wants to start winning next season. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKED ON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code LOCKED ON. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA your first listen every single day, part of your day, whether you're on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making Locked on NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is one of the hosts of the Locked On Big Board podcast, Richard Stamen, who can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked On NBA Big Board. And Richard, we had a lot kind of going on with NBA Summer League this time around. A lot of big name rookies coming in and a lot of sophomores coming back for their second stint in Summer League. So that's actually where I want to start first before we get to some of the, the booms and busts, if you will, of Vegas Summer League. How much stock do you place or how much stock should be placed in summer league performances and what it means for how players will translate to the NBA level after you go through the whole pre-draft process and evaluating these guys and then seeing them in kind of a different environment, a different atmosphere than playing collegiately or in the G league or overseas.
2: Yeah. I think every prospect is different because you know, not everyone is suited for the summer league style, which is very freestyle offense. There's minimal schemes, things like that. That you're really working against. It is a very just traditional man-to-man defense style. Like it is as basic basketball as it gets, and that's just not how the NBA is. So there are some things that do translate. Some skills you want to find. Like you look at guys who are primarily shooters that haven't shot the ball well. Uh, Jabari Smith's one example, right? He wasn't like a lights-out shooter. He was labeled as such. Then he gets to summer league and not only was he the leading scorer of summer league in in the few games he played, but I mean, he was taking nine threes a game and shooting 33%. And while that percentage was a little bit low still, it was that volume and still being able to hit close to a respectable percentage where it's things like that, that stand out. Right. And you want to see these guys being more confident in the things that they need to be improving. And that's what guys like Jabari Smith did. Every single thing was just confidence. You want him to be better than most of the rookies out there. Uh, obviously, it's a stacked rookie class, but you want him to generally be better than the the competition. And there are flags, right? If if the guys aren't dominating the way they should be, and it's not always efficiency. I don't think that's the true way to tell if somebody's dominating. If they're really struggling to get to their spots in this competition, and they're a second, third year guy. I mean, James Booknight's a prime example. I think he had one, maybe two good games in summer league, and things like that should be alarming for Hornets fans.
0: James Booknight, that's your guy, right?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I, I was a big fan of his <laughs> in uh, 2021.
0: I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, 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 if I hear James Booknight Richard, I, I immediately associate him with you. So I was like, I can't, I can't let that one slide, man.
2: Hey, hopefully you associate me with Desmond Bain as well on the opposite end.
0: <laughs> there we go. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you Desmond Bain for sure. I, and I know, you know, kind of, we're looking at Summer League as that idea of you know rookies coming in, kind of showcasing themselves for their teams. Ticket holders It's kind of a bit of a marketing event also for the NBA, but. How important is it, and I know you highlighted Jabari Smith Jr. there a moment ago, but for those second year guys, it really felt, like, or it really feels like summer league is now becoming like this integral part of like development for not just the rookie class coming in, but also for these sophomore guys. I think this this go around, we had uh, at least like two thirds of last year's draft class from the first round, at least, come back and play at least two or three games apiece in this year's summer league, just to kind of again get that cohesiveness, play with their new teammates, understand coaching staff schemes, that kind of thing. How important is it for those sophomore guys, those second year guys? be able to come back and like you said kind of just display what they learned through their rookie campaign
2: yeah i think we saw a lot of all rookie guys i mean benedict matherin was on summer league he played for a good amount uh relatively Jaden ivy jake laravia david roddy i mean Jalen Duran. I, I think a lot of those guys playing was a little bit surprising and then you got the the awkward he's technically a rookie but it's his second year in the association and that's like chet holmgren like there were a lot more than normal and with those guys, generally, you just want to see them being, like I said, being able to do what they're supposed to do, right? Benedict Matherin was very good. One of the top scorers in summer league. A lot of the second year guys ended up being that bunch, Jaden Hardy as well with the Dallas Mavericks. But generally with those second year guys, they should be the best player on the court when they're on there, right? They don't have to be the best player in the game every single time. Keegan Murray, for example, I think he had a 40 piece at one point in Sacramento and like You want to get that label of, hey, I'm too good for summer league. Get me out of here. And if you just play well in those first two to three games, you're done. And the Indiana Pacers, funny enough, that's actually a shirt I'm wearing right now. is Benedict Matherin. Just complete coincidence. And the entire Pacers lineup was returning guys from this last year. For the most part, it was like Andrew Nemhard. You had Benedict Matherin. Um, I can't remember if Isaiah Jackson played or not. But I mean, it was one of the strongest summer league teams. And all of them looked great. And that's a super promising sign for Pacers fans who in your eyes kind
0: of boomed in Summer League and either stood out and were was better than you expected them to be or at least matched expectations kind of coming in? Because I feel like there were a few guys that maybe looked a little like busts in Summer League. We're going to get there in a minute, but we'll start with the positive guys first.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought Tari Eason and Jabari Smith of Houston really stole the show, but somebody a little bit more under the radar of he emerged into a guy that teams have to have now that kind of label, I think Lester Quinone is on the on the Golden State Warriors, he played with Santa Cruz, got a two way towards the end of the year. I liked him a lot out of Memphis. He was a great shooter. Like he just he was a shot maker. And in this league, look, if you're good enough as a shot maker, some of the negatives don't matter. Like, hey, he's only six, five, six, six, whatever he is. It doesn't matter because he scores so efficiently and he did it in the G League. He did He's done it in Summer League. He was one of the top scorers, had multiple 30-point games, and he played a lot in Summer League. He was a great shooter. He has tools to be very good on defense. Like that stuff, I think he got himself potentially not just a two-way again. I think he's going to potentially get now a training camp spot that gets him the last spot on the roster, the 15th guaranteed roster spot. So I'd say those guys are the ones that stood out for me. And when we flip the
0: coin here and go to guys who maybe underperformed a little bit, I'm just going to go ahead and highlight it here. I mean, Wimby had the rough first game, but then he bounced back in a big big way in his second game. It made sense, right? He was trying to get acclimated after that first game. Scoot Henderson looked good in the one game we saw. I mean, Thompson looked solid in his one game. Asar Thompson has been, you know, wrecking shop with the Pistons. The one guy out of the top 5 though that looked a little rough and tumble there for a minute was Brandon Miller. How concerning or how concerned I guess should be should Hornets fans be at this point with how he looked in summer league? Is it are we ready to throw the bust moniker out there? Is it you know is it worthwhile are the are the red flags starting to be raised just a little bit?
2: I think it's an overreaction. Okay. If so, like for me it's look He's an off ball player. The same weaknesses he had at Alabama are just being magnified excuse me, uh amplified in the NBA right now in an NBA environment. He was always a, he wasn't a good finisher in college. He shot 39 to somewhere in the 39 to 43 percent. I can't remember the exact number at the rim in the half court in Alabama. That was never a strength. Finishing at the rim was a massive weakness for him, especially when it wasn't transition. So, and that exact issue came up. That's why he missed a lot of shots. He would just miss bunnies at the rim and Look, shooters, you know this. You're a Houston guy, and I don't, I'm not taking a shot. Jabari Smith had did everything right offensively. He got to his spots as a rookie, just didn't make shots. It's not that easy to be come in this league and shoot 35 plus percent from three or 36, whatever the league average is now. It's very hard. And I think when you, when you look at Brandon Miller, yeah, he's not going to make all his shots right away. I mean, it's, it's, it's not something where he, I I feel like he was always going to be one of the, you draft him to be like the highest end role player. Of your team, not to be uh do it all wing. That was never really. I never felt that was an appropriate label for his game, and that's okay. It's not, you know, it's not a knock on him. It's just kind of how his game is. But he just didn't make shots. I, I think the processes were fine. The results just weren't there.
0: Do you think there's any bit of buyer's remorse out of the Charlotte Hornets at this point of going Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson, or is it still too early to to sell?
2: I was adamantly Scoot over Brandon Miller, so there should be but i'm not going to but I, I refuse to make that judgment off of summer league. I I don't think they I don't think anybody is changing anything off summer league.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to have to revisit this this specific discussion further down the line for sure, but before we get you out of here, give me one more guy one I, either like a second round guy or an undrafted guy that really stood out to you through summer league that people are going to be turning looking back on, you know, six months from now or a year from now thinking, man, how did this guy fall so far? Or how or how did our team not see this guy or sniff this guy out throughout the, uh, the draft process?
2: Yeah, I think it's Trace Jackson Davis for the Golden State. Yet again, they I didn't like their draft a ton last year. They shipped it all out for Chris Paul. Uh, they traded Patrick Baldwin, Ryan Rollins. They, I, I think they really outdid themselves though. I think with Trace Jackson Davis, they got somebody really solid who is one of the most explosive finishers in the NBA already. He was hyper productive. He was a walking five by five. Thirty averaged, I, I want to say it was like 2013-4 with like two or three blocks and a steal a game. It was just the production is going to translate because he knows what he has to do. And the big thing for Trace Jackson Davis too is in the NBA they can't do what they did to him on pick and rolls. He wasn't able to showcase being a pick and roll man, which he'll be in Golden State because there's now defense three in the key and seven four Zach Eadie can't just sit there waiting for the lob. So I think Trace Jackson Davis is going to explode. I think he's somebody that he was one of the last five picks of the draft teams are going to go. How did none of us think this guy was a top 40, top 30 pick really? How will the Summer League booms and
0: busts ultimately pan out at the NBA level? Which other undrafted second round pick guys are going to suddenly shine that teams are going to be kicking themselves over? You'll have us covered for that and more over at Locked On NBA Big Board. Richard, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thank you. Coming up, how did Chet Holmgren look in Summer League after basically redshirting this last season? What are the expectations for him and the Thunder moving forward? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. So what is PrizePix? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players if they score more or less than their PrizePix projection. You can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. You don't have to compete against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And PrizePix offers projections on pretty much any sport that you watch. That includes NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA. They've got you covered for all of the action. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They're safe. They offer fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PricePix app or go to PricePix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That means if you deposit $100, PricePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked on NBA Monday, as always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA part of your day every single day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Thunder, Ryland Stiles. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Thunder. Here to break down some of the OKC Thunder Summer League action. And we're going to start with none other than Chet Holmgren, Ryland, who, you know, we didn't get a chance to see him his rookie year injured, winds up basically redshirting the whole year. Let's start with him. How did he look, I guess, through a handful of Summer League games, you know, before Vegas than in Vegas and how different i guess are maybe expectations for him if at all going into this you know what is essentially his rookie year after spending an entire year with an nba organization already
3: Chet Holmgren looked incredible defensively as a rim protector which is something that the thunder really need uh, after watching them play last year and they made the play in tournament despite not having a traditional center despite not having a big man or any sort of height on their roster. So that was a massive impact from day one. You see him defending the rim and the pick and roll, and you can even use him on kind of as a help side defender, but he's more effective as the lone big on the floor, which he'll look like uh, he'll he'll be the lone big on the floor a lot more come regular season. It was just hard to make that happen this summer league because you're not going to bring Jalen Williams off the bench whenever he's a returning player. So that's why he played a little bit more uh, of that 4-5 role Uh, in summer league. But overall, you saw how good he can be defensively from the first day on in his NBA career. And then offensively, guys were closing out hard to the three-point line to defend him, which gave the Thunder more flexibility and gravity offensively. And so you saw him also dominate as a role man in the pick and roll. And so you can start to piece together how he'll look once you surround him with the guard talent in Oklahoma City, like a Shea, like a Josh Giddey, uh, whenever you get those kind of players around him. And so I I think that with the Thunder, you're going to see them have success with him playing the five. And then with expectations changing, it's twofold. It changes for him, number one, because Jackson, if you remember this time last year when the Thunder drafted Chet and the Rockets drafted Jabari, like these were guys that were billed as franchise changing players, franchise cornerstone players. And at this time last year, we were discussing if SGA could ever reach that number one option plateau. We were discussing if he can be an all star, superstar type of guy. Well, all he's done since then is become a thirty point per game score and become a you know fifth in MVP voting and a first time uh, first team All NBA guard. So he answered that. Question. <laughs> all, all
0: all he's done just a way way to undersell him
3: just a little bit with teeing that one up. <laughs> that's all. That's all he's done, and so that alleviates pressure from Chet Holmgren. This time last year, we didn't know Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. Would be so incredible and, and, and finish runner-up for rookie of the year. Like everything has broken right for the Thunder to have that surprise year last year to where Chet Holmgren could come in, not as a franchise saver, not with all the expectations, not with all of the pressure on him, but instead he comes in as a complimentary piece who does everything the Thunder were missing: rebounding, rim protection, shooting. He does it all that they needed and he just slot right in. So I think this this was overall. Going to be a, a a expectation changing landscape of a season for Chet individually, but team wise, you look at the Thunder team; they're deep enough to avoid the play in tournament in a positive way and finish in the top six. How how
0: do you like his chances? I guess against Victor Wembanyama for the Rookie of the Year award this next season, if only because it feels like there's been a bit more of a emphasis, a focus, if you will, on rookies in the last like two three years, especially from you know national pundits and whatnot, the, the voters emphasizing winning, right? And players who impact winning. And if the Thunder have another successful year, if Chet Holmgren gets integrated in and the and the Thunder again, you know, play inbound or have a successful season, I feel like he might earn some significant kind of cachet with the voters if Wimby is on, you know, a Spurs team that's last in the conference versus Chet Holmgren who's playing maybe an integral role on a Thunder team that's shooting for the playoffs.
3: Yeah, I think that this changes things for the Thunder in the sense of when you when you look at Chet and you add him to this roster, it doesn't just change with what he brings, but it but it messes with your rotations in a positive way. We're like Jay Will; he was the starting center in last year's team as an undersized big man, but now he's going to move down the pecking order to to being your backup big man, which takes pressure off of him, but also uh, you know kind of elongates your depth because we he showed he could be effective. He he, he was able to defend Yunus uh, Valanchunas in a big way down the stretch of that. Uh, Came against the pelicans in the play-in to get the play and win. But now you're only asking him to do that for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a night, instead of carrying the lion's share of the minutes. And so you you see that aspect. You bring in uh Vasily Mischich, who is a two-time Euro League MVP and has that championship pedigree and by all accounts is an incredible winner, incredible leader, as kind of an adult in the room on the very you know cheap end uh, contract wise for for a guard of his talent and he's comfortable coming off the bench and again along at your depth case. and wallace has so many skills that you need on the perimeter and so you move all those guys up and down the ladder to where now Isaiah Joe goes from your sixth man to your seventh man, Wiggins, you know, all these guys who played solid roles, they are now in more reduced roles in, in a in a kind of positive way. Again, where, where you can now have a team that's 10, 12 guys deep to where it makes the regular season a lot easier. The Thunder are going to be a young team. Young teams typically care more about the regular season. This young team obviously did last year. That's not going to change. And then when you have 10 or 12 guys who you think can legitimately make an impact in the NBA, the odds are every night you can cycle through and find seven or eight that given night that can help you impact winning basketball. And Mark has shown he will play 10 to 12 guys in any given game. So I think that overall, this offseason was a massive win for the Thunder moving forward in terms of winning.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Case and Wallace here because I, I kind of got the feeling and maybe it was just like a small subsect of like Thunder fans online, maybe the vocal minority that were maybe a bit underwhelmed with his performance through four summer league games. How would you evaluate his play across the games that he was, that he did participate in?
3: Yeah, I, I, I can see where the box scores are underwhelming outside of that debut against Dallas, obviously, but whenever you actually watch the, the, the game, the, he was being put in spots where he's going to have to play in OKC come October, guard-to-guard screening action, popping out to the three-point line, uh, playing on the ball, playing off the ball, like those type of things, the catch-and-shoot threes that he was able to pull off, like those things are very repeatable. And I think that overall uh, he was able to have success defensively, which obviously in the summer league setting is not a huge deal for perimeter players, but it is something that he was able to have success defensively against NBA caliber guys. I would say too that summer league, can be misleading in the sense of guys can be way more aggressive. And so you saw Chet's turnovers up out the wazoo, Casey Wallace's turnovers high as well. But whenever you get 10 fouls, you can just harass ball handlers all you want to because you're not going to foul out. No one's going to get 10 fouls in a 40-minute game. You're just not. So like the the, the box score, I would agree, was a little bit underwhelming. But watching him play and the ways that he had success, it showed that, that that is repeatable. Come October, he wasn't doing things that he's never going to be asked to do in the NBA. It was all of the successful moments from him were things that the Thunder need him to do in the regular season. So that's where it was encouraging to me.
0: Now, the OKC Thunder also picked up a couple names, Ty Tai Washington and Usman Garuba, two former Houston Rockets draft picks in the aftermath of what was easily one of, those, one of the most convoluted trades in recent memory. Rylan, what, uh, I guess, kind of at this point, is there a place, is there a role for those guys in OKC? Is it just Sam Presti taking on a flyer on a couple of young guys? What do you envision being the path forward for those two names?
3: This is an interesting question because I think that it, it, it kind of on the outside looking in, Seems a bit crazy, right? The NBA has increased your allotment to you can carry 21 guys in the offseason. The Thunder have surpassed that a little bit. If you include their two-way guy, uh, they're at 22 names right now, although some of those moves have not been official by the Thunder, which is how they're skirting that rule a little bit. But this has been the vision from Sam Presti. And so you're going to hear some bad takes nationally come October when the Thunder do waive some of these guys and say, well, this is the problem with having so many first-round picks. you got to wave some good players. Sam Presti, since the moment this rebuild began, the season after the bubble, has said, we want to eventually get to the point where training camp is the most fiercely competitive environment, and we're going to have some guys who fall away and who don't survive and and who are left behind, but that's because other guys have grabbed that opportunity, and so that that competitiveness of training camp makes your team better in the long run, so they've been building for this, and they're very comfortable Letting go of guys who don't make it, letting go of guys who they've invested something in, whether it be draft picks or trades or whatever. And so Ty Ty Washington, Usman Gruba, they're going to have a shot if they have a really good training camp to bump someone off this roster. Ultimately though, for those two guys, it have to, it would have to be a really good training camp uh, because the Thunder just in, in the business of basketball, they don't have the same level of investment in say Ty Ty Washington, as they do say Trey man, who they invested a first round pick into. And so at some point the business aspect of it wins out. And with Ty Tyus they seem to have fans around the NBA uh, front offices to where maybe they can get uh, repackaged again, Uh, possibly not together, obviously, but traded again for a third time this offseason. So uh, they have a shot. I wouldn't I wouldn't completely rule it out because the Thunder do truly want to embrace training camp uh, competition, but they're they're certainly on the outside looking in.
0: What does Chet Holmgren ultimately look like after his red shirt year with the Thunder? How does Case and Wallace fit into what the Thunder are trying to accomplish? Of course, you all have us for all that and more over at Locked on Thunder. Ryland, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me. Coming up,
3: how have Orlando
0: Magic draftees Anthony Black and Jet Howard fared through Summer League? And why has Orlando not made any significant roster additions for a team that wants to start winning next season? We'll get there in just one moment. Final segment here at Locked on NBA Monday. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week as we have you cover for all of the NBA offseason reports and rumors right here at Locked on NBA. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Magic, Philip Rossman-Reich. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Magic. And Philip, we've got a couple prospects that the Orlando Magic grabbed in Anthony Black, Jet Howard, how they looked during Summer League. Let's start with Anthony Black because I was there in Vegas. I got to see him for his very first game, his debut. And, and I'll tell you what, he looked phenomenal in that debut, but then things started to take maybe a bit of a turn for the worse in games two and three. How would you evaluate his summer league performance and how he looked uh, from a a Magic perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he looked fine. Like, he looked like he could hold his own and and control things, and and the areas that he struggled are, are, I think, areas where we expected him to struggle. Like, he's not a great shooter yet, and I think he's still kind of figuring out how to get into a shot, how to get into a shot with speed. And that's going to be a big story for him throughout his career. But overall, I was really impressed with Anthony Black and the way that he kind of controlled the tempo of the game. It, it never looked like anyone could speed him up on the floor. And, you know, let's be honest, the Magic went 0-5 in Summer League. And we know record isn't everything, but the magic didn't have a great summer league roster. And especially after that first game, his first game was probably the best game uh, when Kevon Harris, you know, kind of left the lineup and then slowly Caleb Houston left the lineup and the magic's roster players left the lineup. There weren't really options for Anthony black to, to pass to. And so I think what Anthony did a really good job of throughout the summer league was really kind of exploring the limits of his game and, and figuring out what he can get away with. And maybe some things that he actually needs to work on and, and not so much get away with. Um, he, uh, I thought he played really under control uh, and, and defensively he was as good as advertised. Um, I mean, he locked up Jane Ivy. I think Ivy shot five for 12 in the game against the Pistons. He did a really good job helping lock up Ben Matherin. Matherin I think was six for 17. Someone please correct me on these stats in the comments, um, but both of them, you know, they got their numbers, they got some good raw scoring numbers, but they really struggled to get those shots. And and Black had some really good moments against both. So I think we saw a lot of what we expected from Anthony Black and, and a lot and a lot of the struggles that we expected him to have too.
0: What was the number one thing that you wanted to see out of Anthony Black? And, and did you did you get a chance to see it in summer league?
1: Yeah, I, I I always say about summer league, it's not about really finding out if you can play, it's figuring out if you can't play. And so whenever I see a rookie, especially rookies. I just want to make sure that they can hold their own on an NBA court. And and even in an NBA, even in a summer league setting that they look like NBA players. And I really do think Anthony black looked like an NBA player Um, as bad as the magic were as a team in summer league, Orlando, I think mostly won the minutes that Anthony black was on the floor. He looked calm and composed. It didn't look like anyone could speed him up. And honestly, I felt like at times he was going too slow that, that the game was that, that his, his pace of play, the way he was attacking was too slow. And so finding a way to speed him up and and speed up his game, I think is going to be, that's a good place to be because most rookies, the game is too fast for them. It did not look fast for him at all. So I was very happy with what I saw.
0: Now, on the other side of the coin, Jet Howard, who I I thought was honestly, Philip, a bit of a reach at at pick 11 for the Magic. I think a lot of people were maybe surprised at that selection. There were some mocks. And I, I feel like the highest that I saw Jet Howard mocked going into the draft was like, 13 or 14 and I know that we'd spoken previously about the need for shooting for Orlando and that was uh, you know a definitely a definite need going into the draft and something that the Magic were trying to identify how do you think he performed through Summer League and kind of your evaluation of him through his handful of games.
1: Yeah. By the same token, like I agree with you. Like I I didn't even have a draft profile written on Jed Howard because I just, he just wasn't even like he was on my radar obviously throughout the season, but he struggled so much at the end of the season and you watched his tape and it was just like, this guy didn't really seem engaged defensively. It seemed like Michigan was better with him off the floor uh, for a lot, for a lot of their time, for a lot of their time, statistically, at least. Um, It it didn't really feel like he was on the radar, but Jed Howard very much kind of fits the mold of what the magic are looking for in, bigger, you know, bigger kind of versatile, versatile guards and forwards who can, who can shoot. And so what I think we saw from, from Jet at Summer League was, Hey, we saw the shooting like the guy can shoot the ball. He hits, hit a couple step back threes that got everyone really, really excited. He was able to hit those spot up threes. What I really liked about Jed Howard was so much of what we saw from him feels very replicable. Like he, you know, yes, he tried to attack off the dribble a little bit more he tried some of those step back shots and some of those, uh, some of those kind of star shots that, you know, summarily kind of requires some of these players to take that isn't necessarily what they're going to do when they get to the, get to the NBA, but a lot like the game he had against New York Knicks. So much of that felt like that's exactly how the magic are going to use him. And that's exactly what the magic are going to expect from him when he's on the main roster, when he doesn't have, when he has Wendell Carter setting screens for him instead of Robert Baker. Um, that's to me, that that's what was really impressive with him. And, you know, honestly I'm saying this on my podcast today it it wouldn't surprise me if Jet Howard has a better rookie year than Anthony Black because he just fits so much of what the magic need and it feels like he can step in and do it right away
0: he's he's one of those kind of chameleon like you know role player just just slot in and he'll be able to fit in on all but he could fit in on any of the other 29 teams in the NBA right just slots in fills a very specific role and can play off of other players well
1: yeah exactly and and look you know, I think the biggest question mark for him was what else could he do besides shoot? Um, his his defensive engagement at Michigan did not seem very strong. He looked really engaged defensively. And some league. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say he's a good defender, but the fact that he was able to kind of be in the right spots defensively and start using his length on that end a little bit more successfully, that points to like, okay, if that's the player he is, then that's a player that would have been in the, ele- it, it would have been picked 11th if he had shown that at, at the collegiate level.
0: Yeah, and that's a positive kind of silver lining to take away from Summer League because it is kind of hard to take away. Like, how much do you really want to take away from Summer League, right? You kind of take Summer League with a bit of a grain of salt just to see, kind of like you said, right? It's just, can a player play versus can't they play? And as long as they come away feeling like, okay, this guy can play, then hopefully there's something we can build off of from there. My, I, What I'm curious about, Philip, and help me understand this, I, I'm, I'm struggling to understand what the direction is for the Magic this next year, if only because it felt like at least in some conversations that you and I have had in the past, that the Magic maybe are ready or feel like they're ready to maybe take a ne- that next step forward organizationally, especially with how good Franz looks, how good Paolo looked in his rookie year. But they also come are coming out of an offseason with no significant major moves. So, what like, is this... Are they just kind of in a holding pattern? Are they buying time? Like, like what do you expect the rest of the offseason to look like for the Magic?
1: Can I answer all of the above a little bit? Um, <laughs> you know, I think... You know, like, look, like, you could go back and listen to our locked on mock draft. I got ridiculed for the pick for the picks and decisions I made because I was ready to speed up the timeline, and I I would say I I was ready to speed it up a lot quicker than the magic seemed to be. To me, uh, this this season for the magic is very much about winning. Um, you know what. What uh, Jamal Mosley said after the 2022 season entering the 2023 season last season was we need our guys to level up. They were a young team. they just gone through a a 22-win season. The message was we need to level up. And the message, again, this offseason is a variation of we need to level up again is we just need to play better basketball. And it, it sounds really simple. And every time like Anthony, the magic general manager, Anthony Parker or Jeff Waltman says, it, or President basketball operations, Jeff Waltman says it, it's just like, yeah, duh. But it's more about like turning the ball over less, being more consistent offensively, being more consistent defensively. You know what I think the magic did this off season is they put the, they, they they're, they they're pushing their young guys to win a little bit more but they're also giving their young guys an opportunity to show that hey we can win. We're going to the, the natural progression of our development is that we're going to be a team that's competing for a play in spot, competing for the playoffs. They were the last team eliminated from the Eastern Conference playoff picture last year. There's only one other place for them to level up if that is indeed the goal. It's to be in the play in tournament and I think what the magic what the magic kind of said and, and and thought as they looked into this offseason was well We went 29 and 28 over the last 57 games. We were essentially a 500 team for three quarters of the season. The reason we were five and 20 to start the year was we had injuries to all of our point guards. So they're loaded at point guard. Now they're very, very deep in a lot of places. They added a veteran in Joe Ingles. This is a team that I think believes that what caused us to start this year off so poorly last year is gone. Anthony Black and Jed Howard, may not play every game to start the season. They're not going to be gifted minutes. They're going to have to earn their opportunity. And if, you know, a Markel Fultz has to miss time, if Jalen Suggs has to miss time, they'll slot into those minutes. But this Magic team, I think, believes as constructed, they can take another step forward. And more importantly, once they take that step forward, tell the front office, this is what we need to actually start competing and start going from low-level playoff team to, future title contender. And I think that's ultimately what this season is going to be about is figuring out what they need to take that next step, whatever that next step needs to be.
0: Do you think that that confidence on the kind of the internal growth of the guys that are currently on the roster, the, the young guys that they have, do you think that confidence is at this current point misplaced a little bit, or do you agree with kind of the organizational decision of let's, let's keep things, let's keep the status quo and let's see how these guys look. We put the onus on them. Hey, we want to see you guys level up. We want to see you guys win this next season before making any sweeping changes to the roster.
1: You know, I, I think it, I think it is warranted because, you know, Palo about was really good last year. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, even among magic fans already, I think we're kind of taking for granted what we saw in his rookie year. And so, you know, I think what the magic did and, and, you know, they're rumored to maybe be chasing after Fred Van Vliet and chasing after some other big free agents with the cap room that they had. I think what the magic ultimately decided was we need to not get in the way of Palo about development. We need to stay out of the way of Franz Wagner's development. They need the ball in their hands. And if we bring in, a high price star, if we push some chips into the middle of the table and make a big trade for, you know, not that they'd be in the running for this, for Bradley Beal, for Damian Lillard. If, they, if we make that style of trade, you know, there's Pascal Siakam rumors running running amok right now. If we make that style of trade, we're going to hinder what Paolo Bancaro can become, what Franz Wagner can become. So I think part of it is at the end of the day, they're thinking big picture too. It's not just about next year. It's about the next four or five years. They want Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner to be the leaders, or they need to be, they need to show and prove themselves as the potential leaders of this team. And they can't do that if there's a bunch of guys in their way from doing that. And so I think at the end of the day, they're handing the keys over to these young guys and, you know, maybe, maybe their hands are a little bit on the wheel, like the, like the learner's permit, but they're willing to see if these guys can drive and how far they can drive them and maybe what tools they need to, to drive a little bit further.
0: How will Anthony Black and Jet Howard look in Orlando Magic jerseys this next season as rookies? And will the Magic be able to level up with Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner with their hands on the wheel training permit or not coming up this next season? You'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Magic. Philip, I appreciate you stopping my Locked on NBA with me.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me on, Jackson.
0: That's going to do it for another edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.